This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Welcome to the Drill Down, the business stories behind stocks on the move. I'm Corey Johnson. Today is July 28th. This is episode 62. Well, just ahead, a theme park giant roars back to business. But will the rising cost of a carny hurt those results? Plus, see if you can guess which company is complaining about the semiconductor shortage. This will surprise you, I guarantee it. In racing for a cure for cancer, Aveo Oncology CEO Michael Bailey joins us. But first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era, a one-stop equity platform where you can seamlessly connect to any earnings call and surface actionable insights automatically. Era's AI-powered tools will allow you to work faster and smarter. That's Era, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And you can listen to The Drill Down on any of your favorite podcast platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeart, TuneIn, Amazon. But hit that subscribe button to make sure you catch every show. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod. And connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. All right, I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to The Drill Down. Joining me as always, executive producer Isaac Webster. Isaac, tell me the three, let's see if you can count today. Ooh, to that three, hurts. Wow. The three most important developments in the world of business today. You got greedy yesterday. I did get very greedy today, yesterday, but not today. Uh, let's start with the Federal Reserve. The Fed signaling the economy has made progress toward the central bank's employment and inflation goals. Fed, official has offer, Fed officials offered a hint that they could begin to reduce their asset purchases later this year. The Fed statement today also modestly upgraded its assessment of the economy. Still, some officials are concerned that a burst of inflation this year from bottlenecks associated with the reopening of the economy will prove more durable than previously anticipated. And next month, we will hear from Jerome Powell, Fed chief again, when he speaks at the annual Jackson Hole Conference of Central Bankers. Wait, what? So the inflation, it's going to be proved more durable. That's my big yeah. takeaway there. Uh, that is a takeaway that you took away. Yeah, that's one okay. thing. All right. But they are, you know, the so main that, so takeaway is that they're seeing more progress than they anticipated. Um, right, including with inflation. So maybe that, uh, uh, the, but they'll, they'll stop buying back all the stuff they've been buying back, those slow hints, what's coming up next. Time will tell. All right, and next, next story here, Google. We're going to require employees to return to the company's offices to be vaccinated against the coronavirus. Google is also reported to be pushing back its official return to office date to mid-October. It was bringing back uh, employees in September, so now it's October. Why, of course, the spread of the Delta variant of COVID-19. Um, interesting. Well, I wonder what effect that's going to have in the economy. These are certainly a giant yeah. employer, but also, you know, a leader in corporate America. Yeah, there's a lot of one step forward, two steps back feeling I mean, right these now. These businesses surrounding office buildings. Right. It's small businesses. Just, you know, San Francisco, Google's got a huge presence here in San Francisco where I'm recording this right now. Uh, they're just down the street from me. And indeed, Google Ventures is supposed to take the, the floor right below me. Uh, here in the San Francisco Ferry Building, and uh, I guess that's not happening anytime soon. We're going to stay on the coronavirus beat here for our third story. 
Pfizer says the power of its two-dose COVID vaccine diminishes slightly over time, but the company says the jabs offer lasting and robust protection against serious disease. Still, Pfizer suggested that a third shot could improve immunity. Now, these findings raise, of course, questions about how well the Pfizer vaccine will prevent will prevent infection in the months to come. So a lot of things to watch here. Uh, and indeed, Pfizer, of course, has made a, uh, what do they say, they had $7.8 billion in COVID shot revenue in the second quarter. So yeah. uh, surely they want us to do three. We'll yeah. wait for the medical results to come out there. Uh, Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? Let's start with Six Flags. Six Flags. I'm very familiar with Six Flags. It trades under SIX. Shares have risen over 118%. I think that's what you have on the brain. It's Six. S-I-X. Oh, I, I don't know why. Wrong show, Corey. Wrong show. Wrong show. Yeah, wrong show. I was thinking so, of, of Caller Daddy. I was thinking uh, of something else. Right, right. Yeah, wrong show, wrong podcast. Uh, back to the drill down. We're talking yes. about Six Flags. Which is also Trades not about sex. Maybe bad name. Six Flags shares have risen over 118% a year. All right, so they so reported tell earnings. me what you saw with Six Flags. They reported earnings this morning. Interesting. Now people are rushing back to uh, business travel's not back. Businesses are not back. You just told us about Google. Google's not going to be back anytime soon. Right. A lot of companies. But uh, individuals want to get out. Families are getting out. These guys saw a, a vast improvement, a revenue down 17% compared to 2019. Attendance of eight and a half million guests in the quarter compared to 10 and a half million since 2019, but a substantial improvement over the previous year. Their profits also 71 million compared to 80 million. So I'm going to call that kind of about 20% their business in terms of, of revenue, guests, and profits, about 20% below what they had been, and profits only about 10% below uh, what they had been in 2019. But return of customers, no surprise. They talked a lot on the conference call about local customers. People just couldn't get on a plane. The logistics of travel were too difficult. They felt like they had a re an advantage because they have these regional parks all over the place where people travel, tend to travel less than 150 miles to get there. That was strong for them. I know you know Six Flags, your favorite. I grew up around a Six Flags. I live near Six Flags again. I mean, near-ish. Near-ish. You know, it's up in Santa Clarita here in L.A., um, I've been, I think twice okay. in the course of many years, but I've been know. to that one in Santa Clarita. But when I was a child, we had a season passes to the one in St. Louis. Loved it. Yeah. Well, Fond what, I memories. what I was curious about with Six Flags is, mm -hmm. uh, not the roller coasters. I hate roller coasters, Why? but, uh, really? I don't like, yeah, I don't okay. like, I don't like heights. I, uh, okay. But labor costs, I, I don't, I, I'm, 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 I'm all for labor costs, actually. I like it when uh, people get paid more money and, and they can feed their families uh, if they could, labor costs can rise faster than inflation. But what are wa wage rates going to do for this business? Because the understatement of the year came from the CEO of Six Flags, Sandeep Reddy, when he said, uh, in case, uh, newsflash, the 2021 is an, a unique year. I think uh, this is a bit of a unique year. So... I would say the the supply side of labor has definitely been impacted by some unique factors this year, and and I think uh, that is probably a bit more transitory in nature. And and as I think we we get through this year and, and into next, we believe that this this should basically move on. However, I think as we go through um, what's available in the market, the quality of labor and the quality of labor that we need to deliver the guest experience. 
it is clear that in certain certain areas we need to make investments in wage rates to hire and retain high quality labor. And to that extent, that investment that we've made to deliver that high quality labor, to deliver that great guest experience, we expect to see that cost increase of $20 million that we're expecting will materialize in 2022. So $20 million on, you know, in 2019, these guys did about $700 million in total cost of sales. So call that about a 3% increase, maybe not a huge change for them. Uh, they talked about the quality of that labor. I'm going to call it the cost of a carny. Wow. Now, is bad? it is bad, actually. Why it's, is it bad? I mean, that's not a term you want to throw around. And by the way, Six I'm saying flags. it in a good way. I'm saying they're quality workers. They're carnies. Mm-hmm. They're specialty employees. That word has a certain connotation with it, but that's not flattering. Mm. And it also doesn't, it's not how you describe Six Flags employees. I they're didn't not, call them toothless carnies. I just said they're carnies. They're carnival okay, workers. Let's move on. Okay. First off, for the record though, Six Flag workers are not labeled that. They are just employees of Six Flags. Anyway... What is your next drill down? Corey? Let's move on and talk about Shopify. Ah, Shopify. One of my favorite companies. I use it almost every day. Shopify. Yeah. yeah. Shop- <laughs> Shopify trades with the, with the ticker SHOP, SHOP. Shares fell today, but they've gained over 50%, 56% over the past 12 months. So what's, what's new with Shopify? This company is just growing by leaps and bounds. Yeah. It's proven again with their second quarter earnings announced today. They did 100, I'm sorry, one point call it $1.1 billion in sales uh, for the company, revenue for the company, 57% increase year over year. How much do people spend on these Shopify powered sites? So I told you how much revenue Shopify got for the money spent on Shopify sites and businesses. The gross merchandise value spent on Shopify uh, powered companies, if you will, in the second quarter was $42 billion. Wow. Two years ago, that was 19 billion. So in two years, I've gone from 19 billion to 42 billion. The transformation of shopping online during COVID has uh, maintained with Shopify and the numbers they put up in this quarter was just a wowza. Now, interestingly, um, a lot of that, uh, uh, the the GMV, the gross merchandise uh, volume was also using Shopify payments. So 20 billion of that 42 billion was using Shopify payments. Um, that's 51% um, uh, higher than it was a year ago in the same quarter. So I guess it, it begs this question, right? If online stores can finally going back to being offline, right? If that was the big rush to get a Shopify, you had a little shop or you had a big store, your store had to be closed. Could you move things online? And would Shopify help you set up your own online store? Well, what happens when that business moves back to offline and actual brick and mortar well, what's interesting is Shopify payments has helped them hold on to those transactions through analytics. It's marrying the offline and the online systems and providing the analytics to the merchant. Uh, and so the big push in Shopify payments, software and hardware at the physical retail level has been a big home run for these guys. Here's uh, the president of the company, Harley Finkelstein, in the call today. Um, he's a very impressive guy. Here's what he had to say about the sort of physical uh, stores and when they're reopening, what those merchants are doing. So as physical stores reopen and merchants are better equipped with our upgraded hardware and software, they're going to sell more. We did do, we did roll out also an all new Shopify point of sale with new hardware 
and integrated payments in places in new geographies like places like Australia. And we're making great progress in places like UK and Ireland as well. So we're trying to enable merchants in these regions to seamlessly bridge their online business and their offline commerce. And you know, to uh, to, to Amy's point earlier, that they, they should not be mutually exclusive. Um, we also saw that 63% of our brick and mortar merchants in English speaking geographies are now using some form of local in-store, uh, you know, curbside pickup and delivery solutions. That's compared to like 2% at the end of February, 2020. So that's so part of what we're going to see as reopenings continue to happen, but also as, as retail has been reset through COVID is that it will be retail everywhere. And Shopify is a platform that powers retail everywhere, whether it's uh, online or offline. So how about that? 2% of their stores yeah. had a, a pickup or delivery or curbside pickup or delivery at the end of February last year. And now it's 63%. That's just an enormous, enormous change in the way business works. And apparently that's going to accrue to Shopify. Yeah. You, you can't help but feel confident hearing him speak. I got to say, no, can we well, just Well, he's quit? Canadian progress. Come on. They're always I, positive. I love, Canadians. Who doesn't love, yeah. Who doesn't love a nice Canadian? They're all nice. I'm sure there aren't, I'm sure there are some not nice Canadians, but nah. I've never met one. Um, back to, I want to know though, this, this payment system, Shopify yeah. payments. So where does that, where does Shopify payments interact with the consumer? I think the consumer generally doesn't know if they're using Shopify payments or not, but the gotcha. merchant does. Gotcha. And the merchant is able to kind of um, manage both inventory sales and not least Shopify actually makes some direct loans to some merchants based on what they're selling and how much they're selling. So that if they run it all through a Shopify payment system, the uh, Shopify itself can see that growth and help with the financing of that company. My personal take, last thing I'll uh -oh. say, promise, yeah. is one reason I've thought that since the pandemic began, of course, but I've used Shopify more and more and more. But what I've, what I've, what, one reason why I think they've been so successful is that you don't realize you're using Shopify. It is so seamless. The user experience, the UX yep. is so seamless and intuitive. You think you're just um, buying something with the company that you're buying it from, but no, Shopify is there, yeah. you know, managing the whole experience. And it's just, it's so easy. Maybe so we easy. need a Shopify store for the drill down. We definitely do. We definitely We get do. some merchandise. Some ben, merch. our editor, suggests that we have a, a mug, coffee yeah, yeah. mug that would say. We, we love you, Bitcoin. So that could happen. Ben is a very smart guy. All right, Corey, what is your next drill down? All right, let's, I want you to guess what kind of company this is. Listeners, I want you to guess okay. what kind of company this is complaining about semiconductor supply chain issues. I doubt you're going to get it right. Check this out. We are seeing challenges uh, related to some of the supply chain uh, issues, uh, but it's on the equipment side particularly. So it's equipment, getting equipment manufactured in Asia, getting that over into markets that maybe have bigger unit growth uh, aspirations. We're also seeing the chip shortage uh, as something that's rippling through a little bit on the equipment side. So we are uh, closely monitoring uh, what's happening with equipment uh, and just making sure that we've got you know, the plans in place there because that tends to be a longer lead item on things. So was that an automotive maker? Was it a computer maker? No, that was take a guess. You already know the answer. <laughs> it's not guessing if you know the answer. What are you, Alex Trebek? We could, you're going to look at the card. The oh no, I don't know. I'm sorry. It was Chris Kemzinski, Isaac. I'm sorry. That was the CEO of McDonald's. Let's move on to potent potables. 
<laughs> yes, it was McDonald's. 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 So sh- Good guess. Uh, yeah. Lucky guess on my part. So McDonald's, the shares fell today, but they've gained 23% in a year. So t- talk to me about what you're learning about McDonald's with these Well, earnings. what we're learning is that supply chain issues, not in meat, not in, uh, not in potatoes. When you think McDonald's, maybe you're thinking of a different use of chips. But no, actually, the difficulty of getting hardware could hold back their growth, uh, as, of course, will wage inflation, which will impact their margins, probably in the third quarter, which they warned about. So even as sales are increasing, and they had a pretty good quarter, um, uh, that they might be moderating, the profits will be moderating because of the inability to get equipment to put out more food in their in their popular locations and the cost of labor. But margins were better in Q1 compared to a year ago and two years ago. And I think, you know, this was a troubled company a few years back. And this really suggests that their investments in technology and convenience and new products are working. Uh, those products, uh, one of their products that they liked a lot was that crispy chicken sandwich? Have you had that, Isaac? The McDonald's crispy chicken sandwich? No, yeah. I have not had that. No, but I have had the Popeyes yeah. one. And just a few weeks ago, and my goodness, does that change your life? It is so good. Change your life? It is when you when you have the Popeyes fried chicken sandwich, you can't go back. It is so good. Really? It is like no other. Yeah. I thought Wendy's. I mean, we, we talked about Wendy's in a show a while back. There's a the, certainly my favorite account on Twitter, the Wendy's Twitter account. Fantastic. Wendy has a great, Wendy's has a great social game, just like Oreos. But you haven't had their, uh, their, uh, their chicken sandwich yet? No, I, I won't be doing that, you know, unless out of a real necessity. But Popeye's, wow. You're going out of your way for that one. I will. Now that I've tasted it, you know, now that I've tasted Popeye's chicken sandwich, if there's ever an opportunity to have it again, I will take it. I will jump. I don't I think Wendy's run. is going to want to hear that. Well, maybe they should take a little, uh, go and steal that recipe from Popeye's. It is so incredible. I'm a fan locally <laughs> please, of, please of, of, try of Proposition. It. There's a San Francisco, uh, about a six or seven store chain called Proposition Chicken. Fantastic. That sounds good. I like. They do I like nonprofit the Mondays. They give ten percent of their revenues to nonprofits every Monday. I'm Local a sucker for inter- interesting names and logos. If they have an interesting name and a logo, I'll try it out. But prop chicken. But you're going prop with Popeyes. Chicken. Popeyes. It isn't. Just taste it and get back to me. I want to get involved in the Wendy's situation just because I like their social media situation. But anyway, McDonald's saying lots of good things. I I feel like if you're an MBA, but you talk about a chicken sandwich, you know, a crispy chicken sandwich which continues to perform at an elevated level. It performs at an elevated level, Isaac. Ooh, elevated level. Performing, it sounds tasty. All right, there you have it. All right, well, coming up next, we're going to make an uneasy transition to cancer, but we're going to talk about (laughs) a a very, really interesting company. Uh, CEO Michael Bailey uh, Mm -hmm. joins us um, to talk about uh, this uh, really, these stunning developments in the world of cancer. His company, uh, Aveo, based in Boston, uh, making some really big gains again in the fight against cancer uh, with a fascinating story there. I hope you'll hang out and listen to that. But first. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. ERA's event access and monitoring intelligence platform improves earnings season and the investor events in between through comprehensive calendar tracking, one-click event access, dynamic monitors, multicasting, and more. Powered by an advanced language processing engine, which consumes some 40,000 investor events annually across 10,000 global equities. Learn more at ERA, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And remember to join the Drill Down on Twitter and Instagram at Drill Down Pod. And check out our website, bizpod.net. Let us know what stocks we should be drilling down on. All right, welcome back to the Drill Down. We are joined right now by the CEO of Avio, 
an interesting biotech company out of Boston. Uh, the CEO, Michael Bailey, joined us right now. Michael, thanks for joining the Drill Down podcast. Uh, is it Avio? Uh, it depends. You, Avio? You know, they say Avio in the U.S., they say Aveo. The Aveo. There we go. Yeah, there we go. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, the the accents are, and then your drug. I'm not even going to try. And this is we we cover so much biotech on the Drill Down podcast, and yet uh, the drug names are always a mystery. Your cancer drug, the lead uh, drug candidate. I'm not even going to try. What just uh, pronounce it for me? Fotivda or Tivozinib. And just to make it easy for you, we call it Tivo. Tivo Tivozinib uh, just got FDA approval for. Um, uh, a renal cell carcinoma. What, what is renal cell carcinoma? It's kidney cancer. Uh, yeah. So this is a, a disease that affects uh, thousands of patients a year. Um, our indication was for patients who have progressed on two prior systemic therapies. So they've been refractory to a lot of the currently available drugs. So this is the first approval in this specific setting, which I think makes it an important milestone. In addition, it's the first uh, time that a drug has demonstrated in a phase three study following immunotherapy, uh, showing activity following immunotherapy. And, you know, that's important because most patients in the early lines of treatment at this point are getting immunotherapy. So in other words, patients uh, get this horrible diagnosis of kidney cancer. They go on for a certain kind of therapy. and The doctor says, look, we're going to try this first and see what it works. Uh, and and that if that doesn't work, then they sort of can get, have the potential of being upgraded to your drug that uh, still has some effect after they've gone through that first uh, phase of immunotherapy. That's correct. And uh, talk to me about how this drug works. Is is if, if you can take me through it metaphorically, perhaps about what the sort of delivery mechanism is and how your approach to um, uh, attacking this cancer is different than what's been tried before. Yeah, so um, it's an oral drug, first of all, taken once daily for three weeks on, one week off. So it's easy for the patient from that perspective. As opposed to an IV, which is just Correct. A, a little more pain. challenging. Yeah. Um, the mechanism of action is called anti-angiogenesis, and the class yep. of drug is a VEGF TKI. So lots of things to remember there. Uh, VEGF being vascular endothelial growth factor, which is the target for these drugs. And what it basically does is these and there's a several in this class and i'll tell you why this is different in a minute but it, the the class in general have been really a cornerstone of treatment in kidney cancer and liver cancer and some others um, and what it does it basically prevents the growth of new blood vessels to supply nutrients that the tumor needs to grow and so think about it i think about it it's kind of choking off the the, the supply to to the tumor and they've been very effective right. in, and their ability to, to shrink or control the disease. Now, the difference between our drug and the drugs that have come before it is ours is incredibly selective to VEGF 1, 2, and 3. These are the three different VEGF. So VEGF is that vascular endothelial growth receptor. Growth yes, exactly. And so we're very selective to that. And why is that important? Well, the, the theory, the hypothesis going into this was that by being more selective, we're not blocking other pathways which ultimately cause unwanted effects many of which are toxicity or adverse events and overall when we did our study against serotonin we demonstrated that it had better tolerability as demonstrated by uh, a significantly lower need for dose reductions and interruptions and that's basically what the doctor has to do 
to adjust the dose of the drug when patients are having toxicity. So, so I, I get happy the, to see that. I get the VEGF, so VEG, and I'm sorry, because I'm, I just, I'm not a doctor still. I play one on, I used to play one on TV. <laughs> Um, but so VEGF is essentially the, the, the place where the blood uh, uh, vessels happen, right? But what are the receptors? I don't understand what the receptors are. So to, to grow those blood vessels, you need to kind of stimulate. Think about it as a, almost an electronic switching. You know, when we think about tyrosine kinase and activation and pathways, that's the signaling to do something. And in this particular case, the VEGF signals to grow blood vessels to tr- be able to provide nutrients and, and, and energy to tumors. And there and are so just those three VEGF receptors in the, in the kidney. Those in, in, in the body, yeah, generally, those yeah. are the three VEGFs. There's other angiogenesis, PDGF, FGF, et cetera, but the, the VEGF pathway specifically has three. And so the, so the drug is taken, it starts to have this effect. How is, how is it actually delivered within the body? So it, again, it's an oral med, it's one pill, right. um, once a day. So it's relatively easy. It's metabolized in the, in the, in the liver and then eliminated in the bile. Uh, it, it's just fascinating. And how, how do you, in the development process, how do you start to identify that those were the three receptors to go after and, and, and how to deliver that drug to those receptors? Yeah, I think the real kind of magic with with our drug is that it's been known. Actually, Judah Falkman was one of the earlier uh, founders of this kind of anti-angiogenesis con- uh, concept. And, and it's been well known. You, you want to block VEGF 1, 2, and 3 if you can. Now, antibodies have come out in the past. Avastin is one from Genentech. And right. they block VEGF-A, which that... VEGF-A is a, is a ligand to that receptor VEGF-R2, primarily some, I believe, VEGF-R1 also. They don't completely block VEGF-1, 2, and 3. The small molecules have been very effective in blocking all three of these, although ours is the most potent. But I think about that as kind of a currency exchange, because if you don't have as potent of a drug, you just increase the dose. Right. Um, but what is important is the selectivity. So we're, you know, we're almost antibody-like in that it's that kind of one-to-one relationship in, in our selectivity, which really uh, results in less of the troublesome toxicities that patients complain about, notably hand-foot syndrome, which is, if you can imagine this, a burning, uh, blistering on your hands and your feet so you can't walk or you can't touch things. If you're a musician, you couldn't play. Um, the other is I'm a musician that, and I can't play anyway. It's different. <laughs> you and me both. Uh, the other is another uh, I'll call off-target toxicity is diarrhea that frequently happens with the the earlier generations of these products. Not to say that we don't have that toxicity, but the severe nature of it, what we refer to as grade three, four, which can be debilitating. So this is not you know, diarrhea after a night of beers and tacos. This is diarrhea that you cannot get out of bed. You get into a, a, a kind of a critical situation with dehydration. You might end up having to be hospitalized. So we have much fewer rates than that. In our study, it was 1% to 2% of grade 3, 4. Uh, drugs like serafinib in our study had on the order of 12%. Very interesting. And it's got to be pretty exciting. Uh, you mentioned thousands of patients. What's, what's the size of the market uh, for this? Yeah, there's about 16,000 patients that get incident patients that get diagnosed each year. 
Um, and they get treated in the first line. Moving on to the second line is about 10,000 of them will actually choose to get treated in the second line. And then it goes to about six to 8,000 in the third and fourth line. Right, so um, sorry, describe what, what's a line? Uh, it's it's a course of therapy. So how many treatments? Right. Thank you. Yeah. Each one is a is a different treatment when you have to change treatment. So um, what we believe actually is that, you know, what is happening and we believe this is going to be a, a big impact for us in the marketplace is that with the introduction of immunotherapies, uh, the first line in the first line or earlier lines, what you've seen is an improvement in overall survival. So patients are going to live longer. Um, there hasn't been dramatic changes in what's called progression-free survival, and that's the time from when you start until you um, end your therapy. Your, your disease is progressed. That's why they call it progression-free. So progression-free survival, that when you progress, then you would move on to the next line of therapy. And then you'd move on to the next line if that happens in your, in your subsequent. So that time hasn't changed a lot, but the overall survival has. So let's boil it down to this. The conversation that a patient would have after receiving two lines of therapy a couple of years ago before immunotherapy might be, you've got you know nine months to 12 months to live. Now that conversation is more like you've got a year to two years, maybe even three years to live. And so we believe a lot more patients are going to choose to continue their fight, which will increase that number of patients in the third and fourth line getting treatment. Right now, only about 50% of patients in the third and fourth line opt to get treatment. Uh, it's, it's just amazing to me the progress that we've had in very recent times over cancer and different types of cancer. I, I have a friend who, like, well, we all have a friend, right, who's got cancer, who's gone through. I have a friend, a very close friend, who had a, has pretty serious cancer um, and I went to a, an appointment, she asked me to go to an appointment with her a few years back, probably five years ago. And the doctor said, you know, you've got nine to months basically, but this one treatment is kind of experimental. It might give you 18 months. She's a single mom. She wants every minute she can. But the notion was if, if, he, if he could keep her alive for a year, there were three or four more therapies that might be available. Exactly. And if he could keep her alive for two, there were seven therapies that looked like they were going to make it to market within two years. And that at that point, she might be able to get a further extension in her life. And that was five years ago. And she's she's a realtor in San Francisco, and she's ho showing homes today. And yeah. she's a mother to a, a daughter who's five years older. And it's and it's it's such an amazing moment in in human life as it relates to cancer treatment. Yeah, it's it's an incredible it's an incredible career to to have been blessed. I'll with, bet having the opportunity to really help people continue their fight. And I think your analogy is a perfect one. You know, the advances that we're making are incredible. They're all being made on, you know, the hard work of the pharmaceutical biotech companies and the, in collaboration with the researchers in doing the necessary work. So we're not just guessing. And that's one of the things that I think TiVo or, or Fativda and the TiVo 3, that was the name of the phase three or pivotal study, that's what we provide is we provide that evidence-based medicine that now I know what I'm going to get, or at least I have a, you know, a, a, a very good idea of what's going to happen in this patient population if they treat with this drug. And that was, you know, I referred to the 50% of patients not getting, going on to further lines of therapy uh, historically. And, and there's two reasons for that. And there are two good reasons. 
the first one is what I'll call risk benefit. You know, the, the data didn't exist in that third and fourth line to say that if I failed two VEGF TKIs in a row, that taking a third one is actually going to do anything except for give me toxicity. Um, so we have that data now. A big part of our population amazingly was patients that had failed two prior VEGF TKIs. So the earlier class of this drug, and in that population, we showed us a significant improvement over uh, another VEGFTK, serafinib, which really, I think, demonstrates that this is a different drug. The second reason that uh, people choose not to go on to get additional therapy, continue right. their fight, is because of toxicity. And as I mentioned, the, some of the toxicities that these patients have to experience in, the, in some of the earlier lines are, are very kind of uh, difficult to deal with. And you know, many patients say, I just, I don't want to go through that again. I would rather just, you know, let the, the cards fall where they are. And that's unfortunate. Um, you know, interesting data, there's a, <clears throat> a publication, a retrospective evaluation of patients in the third line that went on to get further treatment or did not go on to get further treatment. Uh -huh. And in fact, it was, a, it was a very large data set, a thousand patients, but it was retrospective. It was a mix of different drugs. And what they showed was the patients that went, the, all these patients were eligible to go on. So they, they removed the patients who were just too sick. And so they had a relatively healthy group of people. The patients that went on to get treatment lived uh, nearly twice as long as the patients who did not. It was about seven months versus 14. And so, you know, there's a, there's a real, I think it's really important to continue their fight. Right now, the VEGF TKIs have not been differentiated from an overall survival perspective between the VEGF TKIs, but that data I just referenced really, I think, strongly suggests that actually getting treatment can improve your overall outcome. And, 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 and you know, extend the runway, absolutely. Yeah. Now, l let me ask you maybe lastly, so you mentioned Avastin early on, and Avastin ended up having indications for all sorts of um, cancer and, and tumor-related issues um, uh, over time. Do you expect that that's possible? I don't. I know you don't, can't talk about off-label uses, but do you think that there could be more uses um, for this therapy now that it's already approved? Sure. We're actually exploring uh, liver cancer right now, uh, and we're, we we did a study as a single agent, and now we're doing it in combination with immunotherapy. We're doing that same kind of study in combination with immunotherapy and kidney cancer. We've done previous stu studies in colorectal cancer, and VEGF inhibitors are indicated, as you point out uh, appropriately, in a lot of different tumor types. So, I mean, the concept of the mechanism of action is it's, you're not targeting a specific kind of tumor phenotype, if you will. You're right. just choking off that tumor. So, if you know, if tumors that are rapidly growing, highly dependent on the nutrients and energy that the blood vessels bring them, are usually the ones where these agents are pretty effective. Uh, fascinating stuff. Interesting company. Uh, Avio, is that what we went with? We'll go with Aveo today. We'll go with Aveo. <laughs> I'm Sorry, calling Michael, from terrible. Boston. <laughs> uh, Michael Bailey, uh, CEO of Aveo, uh, we appreciate your time. All right, coming up right next, the drill down bite, that one number that tells us a whole lot. Let's go with a big number. What are the likelihoods of surviving cancer as compared to 1999? We have some good data on that. So what is the likelihood, the comparative likelihood of surviving cancer and how that's changed over just the last, call it 20 years? We'll have that number when the drill down continues.
The Drill Down is brought to you by Era, a one-stop equity platform where you can seamlessly connect to any earnings call and surface actionable insights automatically. Era's AI-powered tools will allow you to work faster and smarter. That's Era, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And maybe you listen to The Drill Down when you're on your commute. Maybe you're going to work or you're coming home from work. Maybe you're walking the dog or maybe you walk in the house and you turn to your smart speaker and you say, hey, Alexa, play The Drill Down podcast. Try it. You'll like it. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod. And connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. All right, welcome back to the Drill Down with the Drill Down Bite. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the likelihood of dying of cancer, and they measure this in rates of 100,000 people, last numbers out in, in 1999, or sorry, comparing 1999 to most recent numbers of 2019, the likelihood of a person, male or female, uh, to die of a cancer diagnosis in 1999, um, that 200.8 people out of 100,000 would die of cancer. Now that's just 146.2. So that's a 27% improvement in the likelihood of dying of cancer. Uh, in that's fantastic. In the last 20 years. It's yeah. great and getting better. And I think that we're yeah. on the cusp of it getting a lot better. Uh, thanks to these interesting companies. Right, you've been listening to The Drill Down. I'm Corey Johnson. Isaac Webster is our executive producer. Ben Wilson is our editor extraordinaire. The Drill Down is a production of the Business Podcast Network. Mm-hmm.